I think Carr is very underrated as a rider. I think he's very well-rounded. Um, he's super, one, the most intelligent rider I've ever, I've ever talked with as far as his knowledge of the sport, how he can break down film, the racetrack, things like that. You know, he's, in my eyes, he's underrated. Episode 48, Tank Slapping Podcast. Another show, another co-host. We got a new guy on the show, so bear with us, but it's a good one. Former guest, recent guest actually, now co-host, Robbie McClendon. Man, what's up? What's up, bud? It's crazy to think that you've got 48 episodes under your belt because I'm struggling and learning just one. And I'm like, dude, Court, you're actually like a vet now of the podcast group, man. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like every show I'm always nervous something's not gonna work. So I'm like, <laughs> it, it doesn't get any easier. That the the all the tech shit, man. It's it's a new uh, ball game every show. But yeah, 48 in tonight, man. We have a really good guest, somebody that I've wanted to get on for a while. I didn't know if he actually liked me to be honest, but <laughs> we've been uh, able to communicate really well over the past year, and I've gained a lot of respect for, for him. Um, I've always respected him as a rider, but now as you know, being able to chat with him and learn more about his background away from the racetrack, he's a really good guy. It's Joe cop, Joe cop coming on tonight, Rob. Yes. I'm super excited to, uh, to, uh, to talk to him. I'm, I'm, I've always been a fan and clearly the respect is there, you know, as a former grand national champion, but, uh, he's just a really good dude in general. Like we were talking about good dudes on, on the, my guest episode and, and we didn't really give him any plugs, but I think everybody will agree. He's just a genuinely good dude, but a fierce competitor, no doubt. Yeah, very fierce. And there's a lot of stuff I want to ask him about. Um, so we'll save that from when, for when we bring him on. I want a quick shout out our sponsors and make this show happen. Bell Power Sports. Check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. I personally wear the Race Star Flex DLX. The quality and safety of these helmets are unmatched. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Big, big shout out to Moto America. Check them out on motoamerica.com. Find their schedule and go check out a race this year. Um, there's a lot of great races around the country. If you can't attend the race, be sure to subscribe to their Moto America Live Plus package for phenomenal coverage. Some of the best racing you'll watch, the Moto America series. Another shout out, j &E Pistons. They lead the industry in the manufacture of quality forged pistons for the domestic, automotive, sport compact, power sports, and racing markets. JE Pistons, check them out on social media. Their name speaks for themselves. High quality pistons. They do great work. And then for sure, Jerry Stinchfield of Roost Systems, keeping our show going every week, keeping the sport going, really. He does a lot for, for the sport. We're going to talk about Super Twins here in a bit, but man, Jerry pretty much funds half the super twins field so check him out commercial roof systems.net nearly 40 years of experience rob what are we going to chat about before we bring joe on i know there's probably a lot we could probably talk for hours but <laughs> what's on your mind man anything anything new in the sport recently or moving forward that you want to chat about man you know there's there's so much going on that it's kind of hard to keep track um i do know that um you know, there's been a lot of buzz about who's riding what. I know there's a lot of um, a lot of people already know. Like, obviously, we know who Jared Meese and Briar are riding for. But I'm kind of curious. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, you know, break anybody's back here. But you know, what what's going on like with with Bronson? What's going on with Carver? I think these are questions that need to be asked because I've got a lot of inside info. But 
I really it's been kind of quiet and there's always a silly season and I don't know how you feel about that but I'm like the guy that's always trying to see who's doing what and and uh, I've, I've got some curiosities man so maybe we could touch on some of that I know we're going to talk about super twins anyway but um that's that's really what's on my mind tonight is uh what what who are the unknowns because you know obviously Bronson he's a super twins winner now and Carver's always a front runner so do these guys have rides do we know anything is there anybody else we're missing because um you know there's i'm trying to figure out who all's riding super twins next year because yeah you know it's it's going to be up in the air well it's february 8th i'm looking at the calendar right now we haven't really seen many press releases for the super twins you mentioned those guys you mentioned mentioned davis fisher and and to be honest, I'm like the opposite of you. Like I could give a shit really who's riding what I'm more worried about myself, but as, as a fan of the sport, it is very intriguing. Um, from what I heard, Carver might be riding production twins, which I think that's pretty rad. I like that because I'm in that class and the more competition, it keeps me sharp. And, and I like that. And Carver's a, a top talent. So so that'll be good. Bronson. Actually, Bronson just hit me up. Actually, Rob, just a, an hour ago to, to do a press release for him. We didn't talk about what it's about, but he's, you know, I, he's like, I want to put a press release out. So maybe in the next few days, we'll be able to, to see what that's about. But yeah, so waiting on, waiting on that information. Yeah, there's just a lot going on. And, and Super Twins in general, man, it's, it's a hot topic. Like, what's it looking like? What the direction is it going to go? You know, it, there's a there's a lot of stuff that's that's new, and I don't know, Rob. What are your thoughts? Do you think they could field, even if it wasn't a buy-in, would they be able to field a full twins super twins class right now? Anyway, I mean, it's it's pretty hard. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's hard for me to answer that question without sounding negative because you know, let's let's face it. Like I've done, I'm sure there's more than myself too, but I've put my hands together and I even took off a, one of my shoes and. And I've got, I've got like 11 solid who I think will be in the series like right now, but there's so many like unknowns, like is, is what's Colby going to do, you know, because I saw the Estenson press release about, you know, JD beach is ready to go. So is Colby still deciding, are they deciding, or do we know if he's going down to production? Um, you know, I know everybody's, I, I personally have fielded, you know, multiple calls a day asking about Dalton, which we're still figuring that out. Um, you know, there's there's multiple people because what's up with Pegram? You know, is where's Jersey Jake? You know, is is Pearson come back? Is Luke going to ride singles or twins? Because he had both last year. There's there's like well, they a actually solid put a uh, they put a press release out for Pearson and Luker. I think Luker's riding the single. Pearson's back on the uh, on the Indian from what I've what I've read. But um, man, it's just crazy. Like. The cost of field one Indian right now is so expensive, and you got to have at least two if you're going to be a front runner. And to be honest, with the variation of tracks such as TTs, it's hard to even just have two bikes for the top guys. I mean, you should, you should have a TT bike, you should have a mile bike, you should have a half mile bike. I mean, shit, that's 150 grand in motorcycles right there, easily. So, oh, easy. with the cost of the bikes to be competitive in the Super Twins class, then you throw in the the buy in. Um, it's like I said, I, if without the buy-in, I don't even know if they'd still field, if they would still be able to easily field 18 riders. So yeah, it's, it's getting tough right now. It'd be interesting to see how it all plays out in the next few years. I, I like the idea of the production twins class. I like the idea of equal motorcycles, you know, let the riders show who's the best. Um, you know, for me, I can take my 
my, my Yamaha and tier seven that, you know, my team, they build in their garage and we can battle with, you know, the top teams with millions and millions of dollars. I really like that angle of the production twins. So, so that's what I'm thinking, man, but it's just, um, it's just tough. The riders, they're not marketing them, themselves. Well, the teams aren't making money. So the amount of money going in to this, but you know, the riders and the teams aren't making any money back. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a t- tough times right now. It, it really is, man. And, and I don't know, like I've, I've wanted to say something really, I want to say something really controversial, but I don't know if I should or not yet. Cause I have, I mean, I'm very outspoken and I don't, you know, it's nothing that's going to get you fired, but it might get me fired. But can I just say that like, I'm ready for production twins to be the premier class. Um, and, you know, I know I don't want to, you know, diss Indian because clearly they built an amazing bike, but I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> not, it's been talked about by a lot of people, man. So it's, it's something that we might see. I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. Like you don't want to kick Indian out, Indian out. Cause they do a lot of good things for the sport. They support the riders with contingency. They have a factory team. Um, the motorcycle is just a beautiful motorcycle. I'd love to have one if they weren't a million dollars. I'd like to just have one to hang my jacket on when I come in the house. I have an XR750, so I'd like to have an FTR. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. We'll have to have to see where that goes. Maybe we'll get some insight from Joe Cobb because he's ridden everything. And um, yeah, we'll have to get some insight on that. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later in the show too. Um, man, that we could we could chat about that for hours. Dude, I, we, we could both talk about that for hours. So I, I'd really, really, really like to see, um, you know, Indian did such a great job, you know, so it's, it's, it was hard for me to even say that, um, you know, without sounding derogatory, like, oh, boo-hoo, we're taking our balls and going home. But, you know, it's kind of like Harley was under the impression that, you know, hey, we're going production racing, so they did a production motor. So I don't know the ins and outs and hats off to the whole Indian crew, but realistically – could they take, like, say, their scout motor and, you know, de-stroke it or however they would want to do it and put it in the good FTR chassis that, that works? And then, boom, you've got everybody on production motors. And, you know, I, I'm, like, biting my tongue even saying this because realistically it, it's kind of like sour grapes because how do you tell them, no, you guys are – you're out after they just dominated and they built a – almost perfect bike in some cases even perfect you know yeah yeah i mean but then you look at the how much money harley spent to even get that thing to where it's competitive i mean it's they spent so much money in r&d and testing and their their staff and i don't even want to know their budget the last couple years it's just um yeah everyone's spending so much money and it just needs to have a good return on it and that's something that i think I think we can work on it. And we've talked about it. We, we think the AFT is doing a really good job with a lot of what they're doing. Um, obviously everyone has opinions on what they could do better or worse and et cetera. But generally speaking, that's something that's talked to, talked about around the kitchen table quite a bit. And um, we'll continue to kind of, kind of talk about that and see how things go in the, in that, in that direction. Um, I also wanted to give a, a shout out to everybody. Um, as we transition from the old show to kind of a newer show here, I lost all of the reviews we had on iTunes. So if you get a chance, you listen to the show, you like what we're doing, 
go on iTunes, leave us a review. I don't even care if they're, if it's a good review, like just give us an honest review. Cause it helps um, people find our shows on iTunes. I had, I think we had like a hundred reviews at some point and they're all, they're all gone. I think we're back up to like, like eight. So we appreciate the reviews. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to support the show, um, tank slap and tees, you can grab them on, on shop And we'll chat about that a little bit here, uh, later on, Rob, after we talk to our guests, it looks like, He's connecting to the audio right now, and it's Joe Cobb. So let's wait till he gets dialed in here, and we'll, we'll bring him in. Joe is the 2000 Grand National Champion in 1999 and 2000. He was actually the Hot Shoe 600 and the Super Track Champion from the notes I have. Team owner, supermoto racer, road, road racer, uh, man, Astro Cup, Hooligan, Pikes Peak. He's pretty much done it all. Uh, Joe Cobb, are you on the line? What's going on? Looks like we're connected to audio still. Let's see if I can uh, dial that in here. I'm a uh, very, very novice with this tech stuff. Uh, at least you don't have me doing it for you. So be thankful for that. <laughs> I'll build, yeah. I'll build any motor under the sun, but you throw a computer at me and my go cross-eyed. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way, man. I, uh, I figured out how to do all this recording and everything else, but... So like I said, every show is a mystery. Something always comes up that uh, you have to kind of figure out. Um, so in a sense, looks like we're waiting on audio. Your show is the equivalent of fielding an XR750. Like everything is perfect until it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's essentially. I mean, yeah, everything's good. Last lap, bike's running good. It sounds great, and then. Uh, kabloom you're pulling the clutch in on the back straightaway at springfield mile yeah so. everybody has an xr or every every grand national rider that's owned an xr has an xr story about you know well yeah freaking dyno is perfect perfect practice perfect heat racing time for the feature something broke on the starting line before putting into the gear like how does that happen yeah yeah and then you just have to drop what like four grand to uh to fix an xr so Somebody asked why why don't they run XRs anymore? I'm like, dude, those bikes were made in 1970. I, I don't know what, what what do you mean? Why don't they? Do you drive a do you drive a car from 1970 still? Like, I mean, they had a what a 80 year run. I mean, it, what more do you want from that bike? You have like the keyboard warriors that act like it's just so easy to do, and you know you hear from. <laughs> Bill Werner is like, no, you gotta, you'd have to reposition the cams, which would change the firing order, which would change the cylinder spacing, which would change the top end. So it just can't be done. I know we're just talking nonstop about XRs, but <laughs> yeah, we still love the XR750, but it's not feasible to race people, at, at least in the per professional series. It, it can, they don't make parts anymore either. So. So anyway, let's let's talk to Joe Cobb. He's on the line. Joe, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, good. How are you doing, guys? Good, good. Sorry, uh, we're uh, using a new um, recording system here, so it's a little tricky. But thanks for for taking the time to come on. What have you been up to? Uh, I've just been kind of hanging out in Florida most of the time and doing a little bit of riding the motorcycles and hanging out at the horse barn and living life, trying to for a while. Yeah, I, I've actually, I've been seeing you quite a bit down here in Florida and, you know, I, I'm down here too. So we're doing some training. Saw you guys at the motor track, you and Cody and, and things like that. But no, nah, dude, there's a lot to chat about. Honestly, I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while and, you know, 
I don't even know where to start, honestly. I, I guess first thing I want to start with is let's talk about your amateur career a little bit. I like to kind of talk to talk to the guys about that, how you got started and in flat track, who your amateur rivals were growing up and you know, your years as an amateur flat tracker, what was that experience like? And, uh, and what can you share with us about that? Yeah, it was honestly in my younger years, I was uh, big into off-road racing. My cousins and I, we were hair scramble racers up in the Northwest and just kind of chased the local scene and went out and did a fair amount of oh, West coast nationals, I guess you would say, but we weren't chasing it too heavy. It was more local riding in the woods and just riding a dirt bike I really didn't race flat track much at all if anything I had a KX500 that was uh I'd put a 19 inch tire on the back of it sometimes I'd go out and spin around the local short track but it wasn't really user friendly on the short track for a bike so I, I didn't really see eye to eye with dirt track with that particular bike and didn't see my love for that sport I guess and then uh gosh I was probably about 21 I think and somebody gave me a champion frame 250 honda to ride at one of the races and man it was it was a blast i was kind of hooked from there on out it wasn't a bike that was trying to kill me or nothing you know so uh you know i still just kind of played around the local scene around spokane just still ran really heavy into off-road riding and uh started doing i guess four or five years later kind of got my pro-am license i think they called it back then and Later that year, got my junior license, and all I do is go to like Sturgis, and uh, usually maybe we try to make Daytona early in the year, and Sturgis, maybe Peoria. So I wasn't definitely no amateur scene, no amateur nationals or nothing like that. I never went and did. Just wasn't wasn't in it back then. But amateur dirt tra- or amateur dirt bike rider back then is all we did. You know, I noticed Joe. This is Rob talking now obviously uh i noticed you didn't mention any of the amateurs you race against is that because you didn't want to call out you know gary nixon and dick man and all them <laughs> you old ass <laughs> ain't, that, ain't that old man. come on no yeah i mean the guys i guess if i would have been in it chris and i car and i are only like what eight months apart so i guess i'm in that age bracket with them but it's like shit i think he had like 15 years of dirt track experience before i even popped on the scene at all you know and uh but i, I wouldn't have traded it for nothing you know i got a lot of benefit out of the way i went about it too and uh enjoyed it a lot I'm not saying they didn't but uh i did i just didn't have no amateur rival i guess in the dirt track scene because i wasn't out there but i definitely had some pro rivals and uh i don't know if i could have handled another 10 years with them in my so younger life on on that note then who who would you consider like somebody you enjoyed racing against but you knew was going to just be up your ass every single race was there one or two guys that you knew like you love them but you also hate them you know like multiple rivalries you know who, who would that be yeah oh chris would be definitely be one of them you know him and i he gave me the number two plate five years i think so yeah i gotta thank him for that but uh no chris he was a competitor he made step up your game cool bath uh gosh i mean we had a lot of battles over the years and we're teammates for a lot of years together and had some fun but i'd say chris was probably my main rival on the track you know love the guy because he's pushing it but i hate the son bitch because he's beating me you know yeah. <laughs> but, i think uh, a lot of people can say that about no. chris Carr and kenny cool <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you're the, you won the championship in 2000. And obviously that's the highlight of your career, I would say probably. Right. But um, talk a little bit about the years leading up to that. At what point did you, um, did your goals change? You know, as you, as I, you know, as I was a pro, obviously my goals were initially were, let's get my national number. And then it's, you know, Oh, well, let's get top tens. Let's you, let's get on the podium. You know, your goals change as you progress. And at what time in your career, like what year did you, did you think being a champion was a realistic goal? Like you said, I mean, these guys have been flat track in 15 years before you even started. Um, it, you know, what, yeah. when did that become something that you thought uh, you had a really good shot at? Well, like 92, 93, 94, I came out and I pretty much did Daytona, Peoria, and the Sturgis races, and maybe a Pomona. I don't even think I did Pomona. It was all single stuff, really. And I think in 94, one of my sponsors got a XR750, one of Darrell's old ones from Donahue Hardy. And uh, so we decided uh, to go give it a shot, I think, at the Sturgis Half Mile, Rapid City and stuff like that. And uh, I think we struggled, you know, didn't make pro mains or nothing in the national, but uh, did well at the regionals. And so next year, 95, we did about, uh, I think we did six or seven of the nationals uh, around the country, twins races along with all the single stuff and uh, did pretty well, especially at the end of the year, we had the West coast swing like Pomona and Del Mar and Sacramento and stuff like that. And close to home and, and uh, did really well there. I think, gosh, I don't think I got a podium, but uh, we got some top fives or fifth or sixth, something like that. At, I think all three of the last races. And uh, I had been talking to Mike Shattuck at Harley of Sacramento uh, you know, for better half of a year, I knew he had a team with Aaron Hill previously and was kind of in a holding pattern, not racing at the time, you know? So I was like, man, maybe this guy wants to go racing again, you know? And so I had been in touch with him and, uh, he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about it, you know, all year long. And then I came to the West coast and did decent in the last three rounds. And I was a big hunter, uh, deer and elk hunter. And back then, I mean, I, I remember we raced Del Mar was the last race of the year. And I mean, when the main event was over that night, I was loaded up head and driving home by myself because deer season actually opened the next day at home, which was, I wasn't going to make it for the next day, but I think I got there a day late. And, but anyway, I drove all the way home, bonsai at home. And we had actually, instead of cell phones back then, we had actually landlines with points and, you know, answer machines in the house. And I, I got home and there was a message on my phone from Mike Shaddock say, Hey Joe, it's Mike. Give me a call. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, oh, man, you know, I, I had to wake up, I don't know, crack of dawn to go hunting. So I called him later on that day, and uh, he kind of ran up by me. and said, yeah, I'm thinking about going hunting, blah, 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 and I wonder if you're interested. And I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I just want to go racing. You know, I was falling in love with dirt track kind of that year. And uh, then all of a sudden he says, well, I'm trying to get Kenny Tolbert for the mechanic for next year. And I'm like, holy smokes all of a sudden i hit the lottery and he's like would you be interested in that and i'm like yep sign yeah sign me up and uh kind of went from there he put it together over the next few weeks and all of a sudden i was riding chris's race bikes and i was like geez i couldn't have walked into a better situation you know that's so crazy that like that's what i love about and no offense old timers over there's so much knowledge like i had no clue and i don't know maybe Corey did because he's pretty good historian but i had no clue you rode for Kenny Tolbert, like not even a single, I, 
as far as I'm concerned, you were with latest forever other than when you're with, you know, the KTM and Jones guys, I guess, but that's, that's awesome stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even have a clue. My first two years. Yeah. My first two years, 96, 97, I was, Kenny was my guy and I rode for Harley of Sacramento and uh, Chris was busy road racing at the time, you know? And uh, so I had that ride for a couple of years and then Chris decided to come back dirt track and he took my ride. I ride out from under me, damn him. <laughs> but uh, we had some good success those first couple of years. I learned a lot from Kenny back in the time. And I was a guy that always worked on my bikes, worked on my own bikes. And I remember, I remember the first time we showed up at one of, I think it was probably Savannah or something like that. I, I was always picky about easy throttle cables, you know, just lubing them up. And so I just started taking apart his XR 750 Barnett throttle, you know, and he about came unglued. Colbert <laughs> did, you know, <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, I didn't know no better. I was nervous, I guess, probably doing it more than anything because I was nervous. But well, I just want to loop the throttle cables up and, well, just say something. I mean, he was super cool about it, you know, but he's like, whoa, you don't take apart <laughs> my bike. And uh, I didn't know no better, you know. I was just trying to help out. But, no, he was a good dude to work for. He taught me a lot over the couple of years and uh, owed a lot to that guy for sure, him and Mike Shattuck. That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, I wonder. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, I I knew I'd seen you obviously in the in the leathers Harley Davidson Sacramento, but it was just like a lost memory for me until you just until you mentioned that. But that's that's pretty awesome. But yeah, I wanted to also talk about the Dirt Track Grand Slam. You know, the only I think there's 14 or 15 guys that have done it. They've won the TT Short Track Half Mile a Mile, and you're in there. You're one of the one of the riders to have done it. I think you, I think it was, was Daytona when you won your short track? Was that the, the one that got it? Yep. yep. So, yeah. So yeah. What, I was going to ask, what was yeah. the hardest one to achieve? Obviously the short track was, it was pretty tough and, you know, but was that going into it? Like, you know, as you're transitioning from an amateur to a pro, which one, if somebody asked you, you know, to, to win the dirt track grand slam, which one's going to be the toughest one for you? What was your Achilles heel over the years? I mean, you're a pretty well-rounded rider. Uh, you know, you seem to do well on cushions, clay tracks, short tracks, TTs. What was something that you had to work, work on a little bit as you transitioned and you became a contender? What, what type of racetrack? Yeah. I mean, obviously short tracks or anything with a lot of aggression. I wasn't the real aggressive stuff put in under somebody and, you know, hope for the best or grab a, I could go fast on a cushion, but I didn't go fast Joe Roder style. I was more methodical about, you know, just keeping it rolling and uh, just a different type of cushion rider and played my strengths there. But really, I'd say, yeah, short track obviously was the hard one to get out of the Grand Slam. And it, uh, I guess if I would have had to guess earlier in my career, I probably would have known that just because you got to be aggressive. And whether there's traction or not, short traction is just a aggressive little part of our discipline, discipline of our sport, you know, but uh, – yeah, whenever there was traction, you know, it was just – I was more of a finesse type of guy, like keep my wheels in line. and uh, But when I would go to the timesheets and see J.R. Schnabel and Henry Wiles or Nicky Hayden up top of the chart, then I knew it was time to whack the throttle and go, you know. No more keeping the wheel in line. But that was probably the hardest thing for me to adapt to was just uh, being super aggressive, I guess, you know, against these guys and – and that's, I, I kind of see that on my in my son nowadays. I think I've rubbed off on him a little bit like that, which is which is fine. It'll get you farther down the road in one piece, kind of sort of thinking, you know. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see. Uh, I can see a lot of 
how I've watched you over the years, you know, I, I only came into this sport hardcore, I guess, in 2002, but, you know, I study a lot and see a lot. And uh, it's kind of funny to watch because I've seen Cody when he was, you know, pretty, pretty small riding and, and you could always tell he had something. And then clearly the last couple of years, <laughs> especially in my track, you know, I was like, oh, sweet. Joe's going to spank his son. And then, you know, no offense, but it happened the opposite way. Uh, Cody spanked everybody, not just his dad. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to see, though, man. I mean, yeah. hats off to you on that because clearly, uh, clearly, you've rubbed off well on him. So yeah, thanks. We're pretty fortunate. To I want to switch gears, there. Corey, if that's okay, real quick, because I got a, uh, I've got a. Um, well, let me. Fo- I want to follow up real fast on on Cody. Actually, this is something okay. that I want to talk about, and and as a dad too, you know, it's kind of my little guy is getting into riding and racing more and he'll be four in a few months. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, Joe, as you were, you know, you were racing obviously throughout, you know, Cody was obviously riding as well, but you were still like, you know, a strong contender for championships as he was a youth. And, you know, it didn't seem like you guys rushed the process for Cody. Um, You know, I think I heard, I saw an interview somewhere, read something where, he was one of the last kids, you know, the oldest kids to ride an 80, one of the oldest kids to ride a 250. You know, you didn't really push amateur nationals super hard when he was younger. You kind of let him have fun with it and kind of like, yeah, I wanted to talk about that a little bit um, about dads that want to push their kids to be professional racers. Is it possible for the kids to get burnt out? And do you think that's a big reason why Cody's successful is because you didn't really you didn't really burn him out when, when he was younger, you kind of let him develop the love for the sport on his own. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's going to play a big part in his future. You know, it's just, we do a lot of cross training, dirt bikes, whatever, you know, mini bikes, whatever. But uh, yeah, I think it's definitely easy to get burned out or whatever sport if you're just drilled into it. And luckily I was fortunate enough. I mean, I'm really fortunate to be able to came up the way I did through dirt bikes and, loved that and took that super serious and it taught me a lot about riding a bike and then all of a sudden I started riding flat track and I was like well this kind of translates a little bit so yeah with Cody though it's just you know I honestly never wanted my kid to I wouldn't say I didn't want him to race I, I we wanted I wanted him to ride a bike just I didn't want him to race for a paycheck you know and uh just because of I knew all the times that we luckily walked away from a dangerous situation or something so you don't want to see your kid go through that but Cody definitely had the mindset to be a little more competitive than we were hoping. And so I, we just kind of decided, you know, I don't want to take it away from, I would have been bummed if mom and dad would have took it away from me at a young age and just try to point him in the safe direction. But you were kind of talking about, you know, not letting him get on big bikes quick. And I was, I was definitely a stickler about that. I was teaching a lot of schools back at the time and one, and it seemed like whenever I taught older people, it really, made me realize what was holding people back, you know, and uh, usually it's the fear of falling down. Bottom line is why you're not going faster on the track, you know, and when it's, if, if you're not able to push this 50 CC bike to its max capacity or pretty close max level, then why do you, why do you even think about putting them on an 85 or a 250 or whatever, you know, and uh, Cody was Cody. He had, he had access to a 250 or a 450 way before he put him on one. It's just, hey, until you push this much harder on this bike, you don't need to go up to something that's even scarier because obviously that small one's still scaring you, you know. And uh, so we were pretty sticklers about that. And just I think it paid off for him and just helped him 
learn the limits of what he could get out of a bike a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that 110%, man. I think I see that a lot because he genuinely seems like he enjoys riding a motorcycle. I mean, I follow him on Instagram and I, I chat with him all the time and, you know, and you can just see that whether he's on a little 110 or he's on a 450 or whatever he's riding, he takes his helmet off and he's smiling. And that's so important for kids. I mean, any kid I train, I do the same thing. Yeah. And I tell the parents the same thing. Look, if the kid's not smiling, he's not having fun. Oh. And if he's not having fun, he's not going to go fast, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We, he, he talked me into shoot. We went pit bike motocross racing two nights ago down here in uh, Ocala area. And uh, it's a little motocross track we ride at, but they got an indoor track and, he rode there on Thursday, just went and took his 110 down there just for a fun play day. Him and I went down there, I went and watched him. And there was like four kids out there playing around. And then, well, that day he saw a flyer on the wall that says, Florida winner, pit bike nationals next Saturday or something. I'm like, oh my gosh, so great. Now he's all gung ho to do that. So we went and did that Saturday. And yeah, I mean, we show up, there's dudes that showed up. This one guy came in from Ohio with three CRF 110s. I mean, a stock bike. It's like, holy smoke, what are we getting in here, you know? And uh, next, thing, next thing you know, dad was stupid enough to hop on Carly. She's got a little CRF 125 stock as a rock. I mean, stock stickers. It was, it was just like super clean. She wasn't there. So I'm like, oh, I think I got gear. I think I can do it, you know? So next thing I know, I'm racing. I'm racing the damn thing. Then I'm thinking a stupid move for my son to race, even you know. And uh, so anyway, we had fun. We walked away in one piece and got some yeah, good finishes. It looked like so it a fun. blast, man. It looked like an absolute blast on the Instagram, anyway. Uh, yeah, Rob, was... what did you want to transition with? You had a question for him. A little, you, you wanted to talk about something. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep, I want him to dig dig deep. Now, this is just flat track oriented, and there's no wrong answer, even if you say an XG or anything. But I want to <laughs> I want to know because I've followed you and I've seen you ride damn near everything on flat track. But what is the all time biggest pile of shit, Kenny Roberts? They don't pay me enough to ride this thing bike because I'm gonna have a guess, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. But could it have been? I think somewhere to cushion track. You showed up with like a KTM adventure bike <laughs> oh, with yeah. 19s. But is there something that was shittier than that? Because I mean, I don't even know if that, that might have been a great bike or potential, but I'm really curious because you have ridden probably more than anything, anybody else out there. Yeah, that was a stock frame KTM. They put some 19 inch wheels on it and they said, and they just let me do some practice lap at Columbus that day. And I remember cars razzing me in the staging line there say you ain't got a hair on your ass if you don't hold her wide open i'm like oh shit and i, I tried but I mean, it would it would turn it was a normal street bike that would turn about five degrees one way you know i mean it had no steering to it but uh yeah that was kind of a pile of crap the engine was usable just chassis wasn't very friendly but probably the toughest thing i raced over the years was, was the tl1000 super tracker that thing we had first year i had a good a good package that was pretty user friendly and uh next year for some reason we went to a new chassis and that some bitch head shook like crazy and made about 30 more horsepower and it's like holy shit i couldn't get off that thing quick enough each day you know but uh, we ended up winning the number one plate that year on it but it was just i think because we had about 50 horsepower more than anybody else but, that's hilarious joe cop says uh <laughs> he has the biggest pile of shit but we won a championship 
<laughs> we won the championship on it, but I think I know exactly what you mean, but to a slower extent, because uh, I don't know if you remember Team Powell oh, yeah. out of uh, Mobile, Alabama. Well, unfortunately, when, you know, when the old man passed away, his son was a good customer of mine, and I actually bought that whole operation yeah. because I was like, well, I raced 883, so a TL 1000 is definitely what I need as I move <laughs> from pro sports. And, uh, man – if that thing wasn't trying to kill me, it was it was broken because it had some crazy ignition on it that never worked and oh yeah and it and I swear to God it had a uh, it had a hinge in the middle of the <laughs> chassis like it would just decide to flex and fold up. And, yeah, uh, it, it was it was a wicked beast for sure. I don't. But then I guess they figured some stuff out because you know when Jake got on one, I mean they didn't. I don't think they won anything, but um, was that the same? outfit you were riding for but they went fuel yeah. injected maybe yeah well they went to yeah it was birch they birch's outfit and uh they went to that sv i think about then is when they i don't think i don't know if they spent any time on the tl after cool beth and i did but i think they went to the sv well, i actually i actually remember that year joe i mean kind of i was okay. young but my dad actually built the uh the, the buell super trackers that you guys raced against for uh with uh hacker oh, and yeah. Ryan bigelow so um, I remember how fast you guys, your guys' yeah. bikes were and how well you guys did on the big tracks, just a little kid or whatever, just, just watching you guys. I mean, I grew up at the track, the camel pro days, you guys were like my heroes. So that was, that was really cool to see. And then the, for me to transition into racing, you know, quite a bit. And then, you know, as a team owner this past year, you, uh, won the championship with James Rispoli and, you know, as a, I, I don't know, man, everything you do, like I've gained a lot of respect for you from, you know, as a racer, you've always been like Joe's phenomenal racer, but what I've seen this past year with your ability to just like set up the bike and, um, you know, crew chief. And I think you're very underrated. I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but I feel as far as bike setup goes, I'd put you against anybody. Um, your bike setup stuff that you you're able to kind of adapt is, is just incredible. And I, that kind of makes me, I was, the question I was going to ask is it's kind of a, transitioning a little bit but you got better with age um i, I think personally as, as a fan of the sport you know you were almost winning championships into your 40s i mean you were getting second third points consistently until you retired um what what did that take was it the kind of the setup stuff that you learned the experience you know was it harder physically or mentally to, to make that happen kind of talk about about that a little bit um like how you because i'm getting older you know i'd what, anything I can do to get better, I try to, you know, I try yeah. to do. And, you know, how, how did that work for you? Like, what did you do? Yeah, uh, honestly, I mean, yeah, yeah, I benefited, you know, on, in dirt track from my dirt bike experience, I think. But at the same time, I, there was a lot of dirt track experience I didn't get to learn while I was out hair scramble racing, you know. And it took me a long time to catch up to, you know, having knowledge. I mean, I almost have a knowledge like what Chris Carr or Scotty Parker or Springer or whoever those guys had after – 10 or 15 years that I missed out on, you know, I was definitely learning stuff every year. I felt like uh, going out there and battling with these guys, even though I won a championship in 2000, it was like, I mean, it's like I stumbled upon it. We had a lot of good finishes, but it's like, honestly, I, I don't know how it happened. It was just, uh, I felt like I winged it. Every time I got on the bike, I felt like I was winging it still back then. Nowadays, when I look back at it, because the last, I'd say five years of my career from like 05 to 010. 010 was my last year. My last two years were like my strongest years ever just for consistency, me showing up at a track, me knowing, hey, I'm going to 
be in the hunt today and just uh you know have knowing i have myself or my bike it just it took me yeah it took me that it took me that 15 years to get that knowledge and confidence really you know so yeah i missed out on a little bit of that part but at the same time it's like i think my best year really even though i won in 2000 the championship i honestly think my best year performance wise was 2010 when a dang there won it but we had a dnf at the end and cost me a championship but yeah but uh no it was good i wanted to go out on top kind of was my goal and everybody kept saying oh you're not gonna quit after this year i'm like oh yeah it'll make it all that easier all that much easier but it was a good time and you know i learned a lot then and i was still learning i think but i just got to a point where i wasn't enjoying you know you guys know how it is there's a there's a lot of work that goes in it, whether it's mental, physical, everything. And I had a family, I had wife and kids and I was just like, shoot, I've had fun. I can, I can keep having fun in a different level of some sort and just, you know, decided to call her quits and uh, still come out and play and have fun on things like bull tacos with Robbie and stuff like that, you know? No, no, that, that wasn't fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> but that was i saved the worst crash of my career somehow but it was one of them oh, i know trying to trying to even keep you in sight <laughs> but yeah I, I learned a lot the last you know few years of my racing career and uh and i uh, was able to you know have been able to use it with helping george latest's teams out over the years and just had a real neat combination last year with james raspoli and our team with george latest everybody and just you know, as a group of guys, there, nobody had a chip on their shoulder and everybody had a job and, and uh, it worked out good. And I've learned a lot with, with that part with James and with Cody working with him too. You know, I just, I guess I probably didn't realize I had as much knowledge as I maybe did, I guess, you know, back when I was racing. But uh, it's just once I started using it with somebody that listened, Cody and James, like, yeah, we can we can battle with these guys, you know. I got something we can throw at them. So I think I'm still learning myself too. <laughs> I just got I just got yeah, old, well, damn it. You, <laughs> well, you mentioned the Astro Cup, and you, we've talked some other stuff too. AMA Supermoto, Hooligan Racing, Pikes Peak, Harley Road Racing on the 1200s. Uh, you you done a you've done a lot of non flat track stuff. Which one was the most satisfying? as like maybe a personal goal, like obviously flat track turned into be your career and your discipline. Um, but you did really well in everything I just mentioned, you know, you won Astro cup races, you hooligan racing, you, you, you did really well. Pikes peak, Harley road racing. What was the most satisfying as like a personal goal? Well, probably, uh, I don't know, that's a hard one. Honestly, I had a lot of fun and a lot of different things. I mean, that's kind of why I tackled a lot of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tackle and hike peak was a lot of fun, but it really wasn't a big, huge goal of mine over the years. It was fun once I attended it a couple of times, but I'd not say I was big into off-road even later at late in my career. I did a lot of enduro cross racing when it was pretty big in the stadiums and uh, it was fun. I used to either I'd ride the pro class and the vet class and uh, won the vet title one year overall over Kurt Nicole and all them boys so that was kind of fun and I don't know I'd oh, say wow. enduro, that was one of my biggest uh probably enjoyments I would say I just really enjoyed it and I remember one year where at Vegas AMA guys were there for the year-end banquet and I had like a drunk a drunk 
Kenny Colbeth, Brian Smith, uh, Jake Johnson. Oh shit, who else was down in my pit area? Hacker, I think. Meese. Meese. No, Meese wasn't there. He was already passed. Oh, I, I, th- I think I remember seeing this photo of them all like getting a picture with you yeah. and you're in your gear. Oh, yeah. And I'm seriously raised like, they're like, he just popped the clutch and jumped that log. And I was like, dude, it is so different than it looks out here. But uh, it was it was pretty fun. But just enduro cross was something I thoroughly enjoyed and still do. I mean, my kid's not quite into it yet, but I can guarantee he's not going to get a couple more years down the road without doing some gnarly logs and rocks and tires. He, yeah, I see it in his riding style a little bit. He's kind of a taller guy, and he rides. We've been we ride motocross together down here in Florida. He's a really just good rider. Um, he, he's got a really good, he's. You guys ride similar, like you said the. Uh, the calm style, like more, you know, working your way into the aggression, not, not having it forced. You guys very similar riding styles, um, which brings me to your counterpart, your Washington counterparts. Um, go ahead. Yeah. One thing real quick, uh, as far as like enduro cross tire crossings, I did not teach Morgan Mishler how to go over tires. Just so you know, <laughs> that was a That's... classic. Last week, going over the tires on that mini bike, it's like, oh, dude. Yeah, he, I, 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 <laughs> used to get I lost up. Robbie's audio, but that was, yeah, that was, dude, that was like <laughs> they did him dirty, like they knew that was gonna be bad. Like, <laughs> that was man. good. Sorry about that. What were you gonna say, Corey? No, that's funny. Yeah, no, I, you know, you ha- you have a really smooth riding style, and I was saying like your counterparts, like your Washington, uh, kind of your rivals maybe not not even your rivals but the kids that came up after you your protégés maybe uh i don't know if i want to call them that either but halbert baker oh. two super aggressive two super aggressive young young kids um yeah I, I know you and halbert you guys used to run into each other quite a bit you guys had some you know rivalry as he turned into a pro rider um and then obviously you and baker you guys you know, you're all from the same area. You have good relationships, I'm sure, with them guys now. But yeah. was there ever a time where – talk about that relationship a little bit with those guys and um, maybe your relationship with them and the kids that are racing in Washington now. Yeah. So, a lot, obviously, in the wintertime up in Washington, we do a lot of indoor racing, indoor short track. And, and uh, whether it's in Spokane or Seattle, Seattle was where you'd run into Halbert and Baker and J.D. Beach and, you know, the whole crew. J.D. and – and Brad were younger than Sammy and I, and Sammy is younger than myself too. But, uh, you know, indoor, you definitely got to be really aggressive with, you know, riding. And, uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why I'd go over there. But at the same time, every time I'd go over there, I'd be pissed leaving that it's the last time I've ever coming over here to race these some bitches, you know, just cause they ride, ride so dirty and aggressive. But, uh, that was just something that helped build my, aggression i guess a little bit is why i did it but yeah riding with them guys i remember once at a at an indoor race uh brad and jd i mean they were just they were amateurs at the time they were probably i think they did my school earlier that day or the day before or whatever i had a little riding school <clears throat> flat track school and uh that night they were like in the amateur class and they were like one and two i think they were on 250s probably or something at the time 250 fs and they were like one and two just you know lapping the the third place guy but they'd come up and they lapped these guys and then man, they were just they were running the like bumping into the lappers pretty hard right i mean just like i mean they were going to get by him no matter what they were just super fast but uh 
So I went over to him after their either race, heat race or whatever. I'm like to JD and Brad, you know, they're just wound up and, and full of it. And I'm like, dude, you guys don't have to ride like that. And I was good friends with them, you know, always joking with them. I was like, if you guys want to do that, I'll line up on the back row. We go five laps, anything happens. And they're both like, yeah, let's do it, you know? I'm like, no, that's not what I've got to say, dude. Settle down. Don't do this. You know, don't ride people like that, you know? And uh, But no, a great relationship with Brad and and uh, JD. You know, JD took off not too long after that, so I didn't get to get as close to him as I was around Brad Moore. And Sammy, for some reason, I never really got too close to him. I just I – would, I would only get close when I had to, and uh, – then I'd leave him in the dust after that, but no, he, he was just that kid, you know, I don't know. We just, we just didn't see eye to eye, you know, he's just a different mentality than what I was. And then he's here, you see 15 years later, I'm tuning for the little son of a bitch a couple of years ago on the Harley team, you know, it was kind of weird, but comes full circle, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's pretty funny how, uh, how it all works out guys. You think you'd never, never be working with or have a relationship with it's the sport is so small it's like bam here we are but yeah. um yeah no that's that's pretty cool what was it what was your um mindset going into your relationship with, with Rispoli I mean you know when they said they were hiring James was you know was what were your thoughts on James before you started working with him and then afterward a little bit like was was he kind of how you thought he'd be and obviously you guys were successful but from person personality standpoint, did you guys seem to get along pretty well? Yeah, we did. You know, I really didn't know much about James prior to that. Uh, talked to him a lot on the phone during the winter time before we got to meet kind of one-on-one, uh, you know, early last year in the wintertime. But uh, really, yeah, I didn't know a whole lot about him. You know, I heard he was kind of the flash flashy New York kid that you know and I so I, I didn't really know much at all about him but I did hear he gave pretty good feedback and but I could tell talking to him on the phone he was pretty confident in what he was saying so it was just like I, I, I love talking I love hearing feedback it just it has to be 100% true feedback I don't just want to hear somebody talk because they want to talk you know sort of thing and he kind of at first he kind of seemed like that kid and I was remember quite a few times like hey don't tell me what you're thinking right now when you get off the bike, go think about it. You know, I don't want to, you know, I want to hear after you've thought about it, not after you've sat there and looked at lap times or something like that, you know? And, uh, he is young enough. He was, uh, it was fun for me to be, be around, you know, he's definitely a, you see him on the podium, you know, people do. And yeah, he's that happy go lucky guy, just hooting and hollering. That's totally how he is. And uh, it's fun. It, you know, it can get a little annoying at time, you know, when you're trying to get a job done. But uh, most of the time, though, he's uh, a great kid to be around. And just uh, whether he's banging bars with you or whatever on the track, he's he's truly a friend on, you know, a, a, on the track or away from the track. He really is. And uh, don't hear him talk bad about people. That's one of my things. I hate negativity. And uh, he, he just he doesn't do that sort of stuff, you know, and so. He was a real pleasure to work with and good feedback. And uh, uh, we just seemed to click click together real good. And we just had a lot of confidence in each other. You know, it's like, you know, a lot of times he had put it on me like, hey, this is what the bike's doing. And we'd really have to figure out, you know, what to what to change on the bike. And, and I wasn't real calm. I'm just not a real confident guy all the time. So I would always tell him, it's like, hey, nine out of 10 times, you know, maybe we get the right call, but the other nine out of 10 times might be the wrong call. It's just, it's how it goes. You know, you just, this, this adjustment might've worked yesterday on this track, but it 
might not work today. And uh, so I always drilled that in his mind. It's like, don't, don't think everything we're doing on your bike is going to, you know, be the magic dancer because it's not always going to be there. And those are days when you got to adjust as a rider, you know, and, uh, but at the same time, he would put that on me sometimes, or just like I'd put it on him, you know, like, Hey, it's, it's your turn to step on as far as a rider, you know, it's, this is what you got to change. I'm not going to make a change on the bike because I don't see you doing this part of your job, you know? It was a pretty, yeah, pretty neat combination for him. And I- yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, for me as a rider, what the the your guys's relationship and what you guys did last year was a good example of the total package just working. Um, the bike, the tuner, the rider. You know, it's it's one thing trying to beat a really good rider on subpar equipment with a, a shitty mechanic, but when you have somebody that's really good at setting the bike up. The bike's really good mechanically setup wise. And then you have a rider who's works hard determined. Um, Cause I felt like I rode really well last year and you guys kicked my ass. So it was like one of them things where the package worked and uh, it was cool to see like from a, you know, even though I was a competitor, it's cool to see that kind of unfold a little bit and, and see what it takes to win a championship. But, you know, moving into this year, you guys are in the super twins class I feel like the fans want to hear what you have to say about that, what went into that decision and what your thoughts are for the, um, you know, the, the latest XG team in the super twins. What's the goal for this season? Yeah. So uh, we kept our team the same, you know, we were, we were approached by Harley about, you know, they're wanting us to step it up and uh, kind of do the same thing. Like what Vance and Hines was doing that we're in a super twins team. And George and I and Arnie and Mike and everybody, we all talked about it quite a bit along with James. And uh, it was, it, yeah, we knew it was going to be a big step, but it's like, it's something you dream of. You know, you got, you got the Barn Shield company calling you, asking you to dang their race their bikes, you know, and help set them up. And uh, so, yeah, it was a dream that we were shooting for, I guess, but we didn't think it would ever happen, you know, like that. And the way it all played out, though, we uh, decided – Hey, let's give this a shot. You know, why not? We're not afraid to fail. And Harley didn't, you know, they, they know you were not going to go out there and uh, right away beat the, beat the Indians that are proven so tough right now, you know, and uh, they seen Vans and Hines trying it and they were putting in a heck of an effort. We just kind of went about it a little bit different way as far as bike setup and overall everything, you know, a little bit different than what Vans and Hines did. And, and uh, so I think we're trying to keep our package the same for this year, you know, same crew members uh, helping out James, uh, maybe changing up the bike just a little bit, but still keeping one or two that are, you know, pretty similar packages and just keep uh, building off what we learned last year, you know, and uh, I think that's one thing we did different than Vance and Hines is, you know, they, they, when I worked for them a couple of years ago and uh, last year I saw it too, they, throwing new stuff at their program all the time man. I mean whether it was a new swing arm or new whatever you know there was always new ideas and it's like we just kept working off the package we got from them early in the year I mean we didn't we didn't change too much you know really we just kind of kept improving little things that we uh, had already you know and uh, and that's kind of our mentality going into this year it's like hey you know I know we're a click you know, a couple tenths off the pace of super twins, two or three, four or five tenths, you know, from last year, but there's some changes they're giving us. And, uh, 
what the heck? Harley's not expecting us to go out there and win. I mean, yeah, they want to win just like we want to win. But uh, I think with the changes AFT's given the Yamahas and the Harleys and the Cowies and everybody, I think, you know, it's going to help us out a little bit. Is it going to help us to be able to win? I don't think so. But uh, it's definitely going to close the gap up a little bit, I would say. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to it and see uh, see what Mr. Rispoli, I mean, at the same time, he's, as everybody knows, he's spent a lot of years road racing. So he's learning dirt track, you know, riding a twin at this level. He's learning that race to race. He honestly is. I mean, there was a lot of times when I'd put it on James's plate last year, like, okay, this is, this is what you got to do now. You know, this is kind of the, the next step for yourself, you know, and, uh, and he's a great learner. I mean, he just, he really is receptive and doesn't have too big, you know, doesn't have a chip on his shoulder and say, Oh, I already do that. You know, like some people will. And, uh, so he's a great kid to work with. So it'll, it'll be a fun year. And he's kind of the unknown, I think, coming into the super twins class, really. Yeah, it's actually crazy how how much stuff guys change in between races, like oh. heat races to semi. Uh, I'll I'll like look over. I'm like, what are they changing? Like, um, for me, it's always my worst days are the days that I'm changing the most stuff. Oh. Like the days where I unload the bike. Obviously, it, it makes sense, but when I'm changing a ton of stuff, it's usually not a good day. Usually, when I go back to a setup that I'm you know I'm used to or I've feel like has worked in the past, it's usually like me as a rider that I need to make the adjustments and not the motorcycle. Um, yeah, you can always feel like you can take two steps down off the ladder a lot easier than you can take one step up. It's kind of, you can always shoot yourself in the foot worse, uh, trying to make those changes. So that's, that's definitely interesting, uh, how you've, how you worded all that, but, um, got one more segment here. It's called the high low line and we'll let you go kind of a, this or that type deal pick one or the other and give us a brief explanation on, on why you picked that answer. Um, which one, uh, you got to pick one bike for your best shot at doing better in the overall point standings, every racetrack. Are you picking the Ducati twin that you raced or the triumph twin? Ooh, that is a tough one. Uh, overall. Yeah. Boy, I'd have to say the Ducati probably. It was, yeah, how was that thing? I mean, obviously you did well on it. You won, you won that race in Arizona. Yeah. That thing was wicked fast. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I think we were. I think you know, that was early enough in my career where I was still learning for sure. And you know, the Triumph was a few years later, and I think I knew a little bit more about chassis setup by then. But the, there was a few things I think bike wise, you know, and rider wise, I could have changed on the Ducati back in the day if I had another shot at that bike and gotten it a little bit better i think that not that far off honestly uh, obviously we won that one day but really even on half miles you know the slick clay half miles it, to me is what makes a dirt track bike if you can get one working on one of them you can get them working anywhere on a track but uh yeah i'd say that ducati would be the one all right hour long race in the woods who's winning cody or you uh me for sure so I, I got him he, he, you got him in the woods still? Well, he, I don't know. I don't know if I got him. He might have a little endurance on him, but I'm going to outsmart him. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, here we did a hair scramble race a couple weeks ago down. Oh, well, it was about three weeks ago down in Tampa area. His last minute deal. Hey, there's a hair scramble tomorrow. It's raining tonight. Well, let's go do it. So we went down there and did it. And uh, my wave, I rode the vet class, which was an hour before his, uh, the A wave. And so anyway, mine got over it was a two-hour race and 
mine got over and then his race was right after mine ended and he went out there he whole shot of this wave and led it for the first lap and then ate shit in the sand and tip, typical young 16 year old just trying to go fast and didn't know how to pace himself for two hours so i think i still got him i think i still got him in a two-hour race he might he might he might blitz away for a while but i'll, I'll be i'll be there still right now well, i said an hour so you're going two oh. hours that <laughs> oh an hour well i still got him an hour yeah because yeah, i see i seen him crash and it was about 20 minutes on this one. So yeah, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. A couple more here. A couple good ones, actually. Um, tougher. So you did really well Peoria over the years too. Like, I, did, you, did you win Peoria? I did. That was my one TT. I won. I got second there quite a few times too, but uh, yeah, I won it. In okay, so that was my first grand national win. It was Peoria. Okay. So I know you did well Peoria, but who's tougher at Peoria in their prime? Car or Wiles? Uh, boy, I'd, yeah, I'd probably say Chris. I'd say Car. I, I, I guess it was just a different deal now. To, uh, back then, you know, we were on framers when Chris and I raced all the time, and uh, I don't know. I I raced against Henry quite a few times. Got second to him quite a few times there, and uh, uh, I, I I'd have to put it on Chris. Ooh, I wasn't oh, yeah. expecting that one. <laughs> Rob's yeah, back. I... We got the audio working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Let me, let me just apologize. I'm uh, I'm doing daddy duty, so I got the kids at swim lessons, so I basically just dropped them off at the pool. She's two, oh, yeah. so she'll be all right. <laughs> and then uh, it was kind of <laughs> loud in there. <laughs> hey, so my high-low is actually kind of a three-parter in a way. Um, so we'll go high-low, high-low or whatever. But uh, so because, Joe, you've raced against – arguably three of the greats i mean we're gonna say you're the great too but um if you had to pick like in their prime all three against each other on we'll just say equal xrs factory xrs would you think could be parker Mies, or car like all three disciplines because we know parker is kind of like the mile master but who 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 could win the championship if they were all three say 25 years old on factory xrs uh i'm gonna go with, gosh <laughs> uh I, i'm gonna go with car honestly just you know all around you know scotty you would surprise the shit out of me too but uh jared's a real good all-arounder scotty wasn't much all around but he god he sure put a spanking on you when he was on it I would, i'd have to say chris car that's who I yeah I kind of was expecting. That's who that. I would say too, Rob. Honestly, I think it's underrated how I think I've talked about it on the show before, but how how well rounded Chris is. Like, um, you know, back in the days, like Parker's phenomenal. He's obviously the goat, but but going back to it, like back in those days, I think Joe would might agree is there wasn't a lot of TTs or short track back then for Car to capitalize on his best tracks. You know, there was a lot of the cushion miles, rough, shitty racetracks that Parker did really well on. Um, but there was what only one TT, maybe Peoria and yeah. one or two short tracks, you know, there wasn't a lot for, you know, if you do a, you know, a 24 round series and you have six of each discipline, I think, uh, you know, I think car would be very tough on those racetracks, Joe, I, you know, um, and, and yourself too, Joe, like you're a really well-rounded, like I said, uh, as far as well-rounded riders of the past decade, 
you know, you, Carr, Meese, you know, Jake Johnson, you guys are, have been really well-rounded riders. So that would be pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, I think Carr just kind of got stuck. I mean, he got stuck with Scotty, you know, being a – Scotty was a badass, period. And uh, he went fast even when he on was on tracks when he wasn't supposed to go fast. And Chris just kind of – he was in the wrong era, I would say, because, man, he was a tough cookie right along with Scotty just uh, – yeah. Hey, Chris, give me my yeah. pick. Yeah. I got a new one for her. one. I got one more. I'll let Rob do one more, but would you, I don't know, man, this one's just kind of wild, but would you rather race the Astro cup at Springfield mile or the hooligans at Peoria TT? Oh, hooligan Peoria for sure. <laughs> I don't think the Astros would last more than two laps at Springfield. I know. I haven't even done any Astros on a half mile or anything like that. It just doesn't look fun, but uh, short track's fun on it. I love the little Astros, but uh, oh, for sure. Hooligan on Peoria? Oh, man. If that class comes up this year, I'm in. Your Hooligan was pretty good, right? Up. Like, yours looked like it worked and handled really well. Yeah, it did. It worked pretty well. I you know, didn't have a whole lot of power, but it uh, put the power there. It was great. Yeah. Good fun. Yeah, I actually got to I got to do some timing scoring with Joe, watching him hurt several feelings and just watching people cry. And I'm like, guys, he's on like a showroom stock looking Bonneville. Calm down. You guys have $40,000 factory Indians and factory prepped Harleys. And he's out there on a Bonneville with a <laughs> what's you have like a diamond stitched, like custom looking seat that like probably was from eBay it or was, something. It was like, and you just put it, it around like in one seater seat. Yeah, I could fit three people on <laughs> and it was like it was like a big old longboard seat too it was like the world's longest yeah. seat <laughs> it was this company that gave me an exhaust for it they sold seats i'm like well shit that makes it look like their bike kind of you know so i'm like yeah i'll race it what the hell i'll put that on there and it just there was a true hooligan look and next thing you know people started showing up with damn race bikes and like damn this ain't this is not hooligan anymore man it's yeah, no, super serious, man. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. So my next one, Joe, is, uh, is not, I mean, it's not really a high low, but I want to know, cause you're more experienced. I got asked the same question, but, and I know you're gonna be a little bit biased, but give me your, give me your top two per class to the top three for next year. Top two per class. Uh, yep. Yeah. Honestly, in the singles, I, well, obviously Dallas looks very stout still, uh, uh, yeah, I want to throw your kid in there, but you know, honestly, I think he's going to have some 16 year old issues out there, and nothing against him. He's sitting here listening to me, but nothing, he's going to be faster than heck at times. But I think, I think a second overall guy is going to be more like, uh, I don't know, uh, Max Whale. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in there, you know? And, uh, yeah, no, that's a good pick. Production, I see. Corey go out there and kicking their ass this year just because I've seen what he did last year. And so I'd see Corey doing it. And uh, I'd say Ben Lowe is going to be a little bit more of a challenge this year if he's riding that class. I'm not sure yet, but if he's riding that class, he's he was definitely stepping it up on the challenging tracks for him later in the year. So I'd say Corey and Ben and then Super Twins. Uh, but I have to say – I think Briar's learning a lot just as we go. You know, I'm not saying Jared's peaked out, but Briar's definitely still learning race to race. Jared's not. I'd have to pick 
I'd have to pick Briar. It'd be a tough one. And uh, uh, <laughs> Cody's jabbering something in the eye. What? Uh, <laughs> who else is in there? Uh, I guess Jared. It's almost hard to pick. It's, I was gonna say it's almost hard to pick. Any, I mean, yeah, Jared. Jared's tough to pick for me too, yeah. man, just because it's Jared. But I mean, what what those? I think those two have, they've shown they're pretty far ahead of the uh, yeah. the rest of the guys right now. You need to come out of retirement, man. Give them a run. Oh shit, yeah. I can't even <laughs> give my, yeah. Every now and then, I feel like throwing a hail mary at these guys, and then I go somewhere like the winter throwdown. It's like okay, my hail marys work too good anymore. Yeah, but on the on the right bike on the right track, yeah. you, you still could. I'm sure you could still get. I heard they were thinking about going to Hagerstown this year, and I'm like, damn, if there's one I'd like to do again, that's just a finesse, fun track, and uh, that'd be that'd be one I'd probably hop on a bike again. Yeah, I was gonna ask if you could pick one. What would it be? Uh, what what would the la- what would your last choice be? Last question before I let you go. What somebody said, you know, what was what would be the last track that you would want to make a comeback at? Oh, uh, like his least yeah, favorite. Yeah, like which one is like at the bottom of the list? Uh, <laughs> so you're trying to yeah, get him to come back? No, like which one is like a <laughs> hell no, like Laconia short track? Yeah, or I'd probably come back for that. Just, I don't know. Not that I would want to be aggressive, but I get myself ready. But uh, I'd say one of the miles. I just don't enjoy that part of it anymore. And drifting around, I don't. Sheet. I don't know. Honestly, I was yeah. pretty fortunate loved a lot of i mean I, everybody says you know everybody's you gotta tell yourself you like this track just so you do good at it but honestly i was just a well-rounded rider i felt like and i really truly honestly loved a lot of tracks for different reasons and uh i don't know the hardest one for me to come back on probably would be an aggressive one like a, a peoria or something even though it was one of my favorites over the year it would it would be hard to go take it up to that level again to try to ride it like that like it needs to be ridden Right. So also at Peoria too, how, I mean, that'd be a long ass race by the new format, right? I mean, that'd be oh brutal. Gosh, yeah. Have you ever ridden a twin Joe at Peoria or no? No, I never was able to. Uh-uh. So that'd be cool. Maybe. Oh, now he wasn't back there with spring. The dick man comment, dude. I just like, <laughs> I was like, come on, man. <laughs> that was awesome. Joe, Joe's got his, he still got his factory BSA Dude, leathers, so man. Race people like Springer, though, Ricky Graham. I mean, a couple of them. They were late in their career when I stepped in. But, shit, uh, dude, there were so many times I remember Springer. Still, I wouldn't say he wasn't in his prime, but on certain days, he was still in his prime. Like, Springfield, we're freight training into turn one or turn three. You know, everybody chopped the throttle. All of a sudden, we're all entering wheel to wheel at the end. Where you think the chop throttle point is on that straightaway that day. And here's Springer. I mean, Hawk's got the throttle on around the outside. You have like two bike links, like, you know, passing four guys, you know. It's like, shit, oh dear. And then he doesn't chop the throttle until he gets back in line with you, right? And it's like, oh my God, how did that dude just do that and not eat shit? Or it's like, oh, he was, he was pretty fortunate to be able to ride at that, dude, for sure. When you were a rookie, who was some, who was like an, the oldest guy that was still racing? Like when I came through, um yeah I, I hate to throw you under but it was like you chris carr rich king 
I got to race with you guys. And then like right now, I'm obviously I'm, I'm racing against, you know, Dallas sometimes and Cody, uh, you know, outlaw races and things like that. You know, you, you've been, you've raced Springer all the way up to, you know, Briar Bauman, you know, guys like that. So who was, who was kind of like on their way out retiring when you were kind of a rookie? Yeah, I'd say Moorhead and King. More or King stuck around a little bit longer. Oh, Moorhead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Moorhead and King. I remember Moorhead giving me a kind of a old father talk one day about, I don't know if I bumped him or bumped somebody, but I remember him giving me the don't you fucking touch me talk on the track, you know, like <laughs> you don't bump people in this sport or else you're going home to Washington, Joe. And I was like, oh, shit, I, you know, I respected Steve every second after that in my career, you know. I just remember that being a stinger that day. But, uh, yeah, I'd say Moorhead and King and Ronnie Jones, you know. Those three were definitely some of the older guys that still could put it on you any day or Springer, you know. Springer just stuck it yeah, out. Never- Even them three, fuck, I think he raced longer than they did, it seemed like. I didn't get the race Moorhead. That's kind of somebody I would, I definitely wouldn't want to piss Steve. I pissed Steve off enough in the pits, just like asking him <laughs> questions. I wouldn't want to piss him off at the track, uh, oh, on the yeah. track, but yeah. Well, man, we appreciate that your time. I know you got a lot going on. Your, your son, Cody, obviously getting ready for his pro, his pro season, your daughter. Um, I think it's Carly, right? She does a lot of horse, yeah. horse shows and horse competitions. So you got a lot going on. So we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me guys. Looking forward to, we'll be seeing y'all at the track again, full time and looking forward to just a fun, safe year for everybody. You know, I, that's, I guess one of the biggest nerve wracking things is seeing your kids go in that singles class and just not necessarily his safety, just everybody, you know, how hopefully we can tackle it all and have fun, walk away one piece. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That'll be good. But yeah, thanks again. Good luck to Cody this coming year and uh, and you guys too with the latest team and James. I'll, I'll be rooting for you guys. Uh, looking forward to it. We'll catch you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Yep. See you later. Joe Cop. Uh, I think I lost Robbie Bobby again. I don't know what's going on. Uh, the uh, the uh, We're struggling today with this with this audio format, but Robbie Bobby's not here, so I guess I'm a lone, lone, lone wolf right now. I'm going to actually do a new segment here. It's going to be called Overrated or Underrated, and I actually have a friend help me out with this. Jalen Norris, every week we're going to do about 10 to 12. She's going to come up with it. Um, overrated, underrated questions she's going to ask me, and I don't know what, what, what she has on tap. Most of them, I think, are flat track related, but – she might throw some other ones out there. So uh, bring Jalen on and do the the new segment. I'm pretty pumped on it, honestly. I, I'm a big fan of Gary V. If you guys, guys haven't looked up Gary V on YouTube, he's like a motivational speaker type guy, real big with social media and collects old sports cards and just had Vanderchuck Media. He does a lot of really, really cool stuff. And I got I stole this idea from him. I really like what they do with it, and that's kind of something I want to try and do. We'll see how it plays out. If it sucks, we'll, we'll can it. But Stoked to bring on Jalen Norris. She's helped me out with this new segment I'm doing, overrated, underrated. Like I said, kind of stole this from Gary Vee, but I don't know. I think it'd be cool to do. It's just something to add to the show. Jalen, what's up? How are you? What's up? Pretty good. You ready for this or what? I'm stoked. Sorry. To, I, I kind of like just 
hired you like on, I'm like hey you're doing this like I didn't really give yeah, you an option you just, you've thrown me in a lot of shit so we're just gonna go for it okay perfect yeah you're like my go-to I appreciate <laughs> you coming on help me out uh so we're gonna do this every week so anybody that has any any of these you want to send to her or send to well just send to her because I don't know what she's gonna, gonna even ask me until until she says it so send ideas to her because we're gonna need a lot of them um but yeah let's get it rolling what's the yeah, first one lot. All right, first one, overrated or underrated, Chris Carr? Underrated. I actually just talked about this on the show with Joe Cobb. I think I think Carr's very underrated as a rider. I think he's very well-rounded. Um, he's super, one, the most intelligent rider I've ever, I've ever talked with as far as his knowledge of the sport, how he can break down film, the racetrack, things like that. You know, he's, in my eyes, he's underrated. All right. Disney World. <laughs> Underrated. Come on. It's the best place on earth. Good. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Underrated. I love Disney. We're about to not be friends. Yeah, Disney's the spot. Anytime I'm in Florida, I try and I hit up Disney World every time I'm here. So I'm basically an expert on the park. If anybody out there has any Disney questions, I'm your guy. So hit me up. Let me know. <laughs> All right. Cutting tires on a cushion. Underrated. Yeah, it's uh man, I hate I might have to give out some secrets on this, but yeah, it's it's a few tenths of a second. It's uh especially the Maxxis tires on a cushion. It's I've noticed, you know, I've done a lot of testing with it. It's three to five tenths a second. So half a second a lap, cut your tire. Don't be a cheap ass, buy a new tire. Um cutting tires is the way to go. But I don't cut eh. I'm gonna leave that for I'm gonna leave that in the old uh note notebook. I'm not yeah, gonna, don't give away all your secrets. Yeah, I'm gonna leave that that one a little quiet. But yeah, cutting tires is underrated underrated all right chick-fil-a underrated again man it's i want to say <laughs> i don't know chick-fil-a gets a lot of hype so maybe it's properly rated but it, it does but dude it's the food's good but more than anything else it's just the service like anytime you go to chick-fil-a you'll hardly mm-hmm. ever have a bad experience everybody's friendly um with my race promotions i tell my workers i'm like hey we're doing the chick-fil-a method you know, thank everybody, <laughs> be appreciative. Uh, Chick-fil-A, I think, is underrated, but like I said, it gets a lot of hype. So between underrated and properly rated. Mm, I feel you. We don't have them here, so what? we get pumped when, you know, you hit Ohio. We got like one a couple hours away from me, but once you get into Ohio and stuff, you get all the Chick-fil-A because we don't have them here. What a bummer. Yeah. And then the worst is when you you're all amped up on Chick-fil-A and if it's fucking Sunday, you can't even go. I've done yeah. that a lot. Every time you're on the way home every weekend. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Next one. Um, steel shoes. I don't know. Steel shoes. That's a tough one. I'm going to say properly rated, right? I mean, everybody wears them, so it can't be underrated. I would hope so. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Properly, they come in handy, I would assume. Properly rated. It's, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's really nowhere flat track related that you can race without one, in my opinion. Well, concrete indoors, we put carpet on our boots, but um, yeah, I'd say properly rated. Obviously, everybody has them. So um, properly rated. Shout out Mike Butler. He does my steel shoes. Best best guy there is. Um, The show The Office overrated overrated people are probably gonna hammer me for this one but oh for sure that's everybody's favorite yeah i just like i tried to watch it and i'm just like "Mm, not a fan i would say very overrated 
Um, Mm-hmm. Golly, I'm gonna get hammered. I bet. I know people love that fucking show, but in my opinion, overrated. All right, um, Essenson. Underrated, Essenson. Guys like Essenson, Jerry Stinchfield, um, the Mike Turners, the the individuals that keep the sport going that don't actually profit from it. I mean, it's it's not like he's selling you know, making money with his business. Realistically, they're not making money. Like how many roofs are Jerry, is Jerry Stinchfield selling because he supports the sport and same for, right. same for, um, for Tim, S- Tim Essenson, like his, his professionalism that he's brought to the sport, you know, him giving, giving a lot of people jobs, like, you know, the mechanics, the, the, the truck drivers, whatever they have, um, you know, they, they're doing, they're keeping the sport going guys like Tim. So I would say he's definitely underrated. Um, Vegas. I'm going to say Vegas is overrated. Um, fucking Vegas hurts. It hurts. I mean, I remember going to Vegas, Jalen, when we had the race there, the indoor, and it was like, oh, yeah. it was like late. Like I thought it would, might've been like midnight. I, I knew we were down at the casino for a while. Everybody's down there. Nobody's even thinking of shutting it down. And I look at my watch, it's three 30 in the morning. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, Nobody goes to bed in Vegas. There's always something to do. It hurts, but it's kind of just like nasty, like hot, like I don't. It's not I've my heard. scene. I've, I've never been, but I feel like I have to go just to check it out. But I probably won't like it. You never been to Vegas? Are you it's kind of last on my list, so I, well, I just never want to go. Yeah, it's kind of dirty. And then with COVID like right now, it probably yeah. won't be that fun at all. You're probably right. Vegas sucks. Overrated. All right. right. Overrated. Uh, Super Twins. That's a tough one. I'm going to say slightly overrated. Um, I do like some aspects of it, the professionalism with it. Yeah, things like that. You know, I I like there being a premier class. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of things that I, I mean, I should, I could talk about this forever. We talked about it quite a bit in the intro actually, but, uh, I would say slightly overrated at this point in time. All right. It's hard though. Right, it's hard though. Real fast. I'm, I'm going to follow up. I'm going to follow up. It's tough right. because the top, the top two riders, you know, the top, there's a lot of really, really good riders in the sport that race super twins. And for people to say singles and production is the premier classes now, I just disagree with that. You know, the guys like Jeremy. Well, yeah. I mean, there's levels for a reason. Yeah. I think the the depth isn't there. I think a lot of the top guys in the singles and production twins could podium races and super twins and run up front. But I also mm-hmm. know the talent level of guys like Meese and Briar. Um, and then you have guys like Bronson and JD and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting guys, but yeah, there's, they're phenomenal riders. I just don't think the depth is there and that's why it's, you know, slightly overrated. I agree. And then the last one on the list is uh, for everybody that's obsessed with the little Bush Light drinks. Is that overrated or underrated? Bush Light, overrated. <laughs> yeah, some Bush Latte is up in there. What, you think it's overrated too? I don't like any beer, so even when you're obsessed with your land sharks, I'm not really a fan of any of it. Oh, so yeah. now, now <laughs> you're turning it. Now you're, now you're, yeah. 
it's a good thing it's the last question. I was about to mute you if you if you talk shit on the sharks, but uh-huh. yeah, Bush 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 is uh, definitely overrated. I it's like an old man. Like my stepdad drinks Bush Lights. Like I don't. I just eh, just not a big Bush Bush Light fan. I, I don't think anybody else is either. I think it was just something that they did as like like uh the last Bush. They had one case of beer left in the fridge. It was Bush Light, and then it just came like an ironic thing. Yeah. Like let's just get more Bush Light, and now it's a thing. Um. I don't think it's actually yeah, I agree. something that people actually it's probably not very good. I would assume. Yeah. I don't think they get stoked on drinking it. I just think it's a, it's a thing. It's trendy. <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it, no, I think it is trendy. It's, it's more of a trend. It's trendy. It's a trendy beer. It's not like land shark. Yeah. It's, it's not here to yeah. stay. It's just a, yeah, mm. it's a cool thing. It's like PBR, like PBR was big. Uh, I would say about it like yeah, five, that six was years ago. Too. Yeah. 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 That was a thing. I remember, uh, Barry Smith, Brian and Stevie's dad, he brought a bike down to uh, Charlotte for me um, from Michigan. And I asked him, you know, I was like, Hey, can I throw you some money or case of beer and whatever? And he was like, "Uh, just get me a case of PBR and we'll be good. I'm like, all right, cool. So I go to the beer store. (laughs) I didn't realize how cheap PBR was. I was like, Holy shit, this beer is so cheap. Like I bought him two cases because that was the cost of one regular beer. Like PBR is so cheap. So anyways, <laughs> well, maybe that's why it was thing. It was like, people are just broke at one point in time. Like, well, this will do. And then it became like a trend. It's like the pure hillbilly drink PBR. Or that. Yeah. Uh, dude, I thank, thank you for coming on. That was good. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. If you guys no have any problem. more, send them to Jalen and we'll, we'll get them yeah, popping for the next show. Rad. All right. We'll chat you well, soon. Peace out. See you later. Peace. So that was fun. I think uh, I think that worked out well, actually. Yeah, send send us some more overrated, underrated. There was a couple tough ones in there. Uh, the Super Twins one, man, that's that's a tough one. But yeah, good show, cluster of a show. Like we lost Robbie Bobby, he came back, he's gone again. Joe Joe Cobb, phenomenal guest. Like I said, I have a lot of respect for that guy, and it's been really cool to uh, to get to know him as a person the last couple of years, racing against him and and things like that. And I really am rooting for, for James and Joe to do well. And I think James is really going to surprise some people. I think people like talking shit about the Harley. They like, you know, talking shit about the effort that they're going to bring, but I raced against James and I, and Joe, and I know how good I felt this past year. And those guys beat me every race, you know, and looking at lap times um, it's hard to, I hate comparing lap times because the tracks change so much between the groups and things like that. But you still kind of glance at that every once in a while. And the, uh, the lap times speak for, for themselves. And James is a gamer and I think they're going to do really well. Cody cop. I think he is going to have a really good year. I'm going to say he wins at least one race this year. Um, I mentioned that to a few people and they're like, really, you think he's going to win? I said, yeah, I really, I do. I think he's, I think he's mentally ready to win right now. Um, no pressure, Cody. I, I don't know if he'll, don't know if he'll contend for a championship. I think he might have to put a couple years under his belt for that, but I would not be surprised to see him consistently run up front, especially with uh, a guy like Joe tuning the bikes for you. And like Rob said too, Cody just has a lot of fun riding motorcycles and to have that at such a young age, it really sets you up for success. I think once you turn pros, you don't have that pressure to, uh, to go out there and perform. You just go out and have fun, enjoy riding motorcycles and get the job done. So, um, yeah, that was a good show. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Like I said, if you get a chance, please go on iTunes, leave us, leave us a review. 
appreciate all the reviews. We lost them all. Big job. So leave us a review. Let us know how you like the new shows, what we can work on, things like that. Uh, we're going to work on, like I said, we want to do some guest co-hosts here and there, but obviously we're struggling struggling with that as we speak. So we're going to do a better job moving forward with the, with the co-hosts. It's because it's kind of actually feel like I'm like out in the woods by myself right now talking, just doing my own show. But um, yeah, I want to thank the sponsors to keep it going. You know, we've been in a transition period right now and, and they've, they've had my backs and want to, want to see this show succeed and keep going. Bell Helmets, check them out at bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. I wear the Race Star Flex. Make sure you check that helmet out. I think it's the best in the game. I'm really excited to be partnered with Bell as a rider and with the podcast. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Moto America, check out the schedule and find a race near you in 2021. If you can't make the races, make sure you subscribe to their Moto America Live Plus package. They have sales a lot on their social media pages for different holidays things like that. Hint, hint, Valentine's Day is coming up. You know, as soon as they have those sales for tickets, live plus packages, whatever they offer sales for those special, um, you know, events and holidays, make sure you take advantage of it. The coverage is excellent. The Moto America series does a great job with their coverage. The live plus package is almost better than any kind of racing coverage I've seen anywhere. It's phenomenal. So make sure you check them out. JE Pistons, I've been using JE Pistons for a very, very long time. It's honestly the only piston I trust right now. It's, um, you know, top teams use it in every different discipline. You go on their social media channels, you see all the teams and riders using their pistons. Make sure you check them out. Big supporter of the podcast, racing in general, flat track racing, et cetera. Support those that support the sport. With that being said, Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, commercial industrial roofing company, nearly 40 years of experience Check him out at commercialroofsystems.net. If you know any company, industry, business that might need a commercial roof, Jerry is the man when it comes to that. He is the guy. He's the goat of roofing. So check check him out. Get him, Give him a call. Tell him we sent you, and we'll get you dialed in. I think that's a wrap. I don't have much else to chat about. Rob's gone. Sammy's gone. Jake's gone. I'm lost in the woods right now. Just a lone wolf out here looking for food, but we're going to keep sending it on the show. We're going to send it a little bit harder, bump the cush a little bit, talk about shit that might, you know, might hurt feelings and things like that. But that was the the basis of the show. That's why I wanted to do it to give the fans some insight stuff. You don't see the robotic personalities of the sport, what you don't see on television, what, you know, what you can't get on social media, come to this podcast and we will shake it up a little bit for you that's a wrap hit us up social media thanks for all the reviews thanks for uh, subscribing itunes soundcloud spotify big shout out to billy billy's my new guy uh, helping me edit the pod say hi to billy on social billy is awesome we like billy uh that's a wrap guys i'm out peace